Hey everyone, I'm Holly, the founder of TBH, and I'm really excited to share this episode with you. I had the honor of sitting down with two women who share the experience of having an alcoholic parent. While their experiences are different in a lot of ways, different generations, different levels of closeness to their alcoholic parents, different roles in their families, and so on, there are significant overlaps in how their families of origin shaped who they are today. Before digging in, I want to remind you that this is a conversation between loved ones. I'm speaking with my best friend and my partner's mother, with whom I have very close relationships, and none of us are experts on the subject of addiction or alcoholism. We are all speaking from a place of privilege, and we recognize that no experience is universal. As always, I am a huge advocate for therapy and recommend seeking professional support as well as social support if you're dealing with anything like what you're about to hear. I hope you enjoy our conversation. I know I did. Let's get into it. Hello, everyone. Hello. (laughs) I am sitting here in person, which is a delight to begin with during COVID times with my wonderful, beautiful, dearest future mother-in-law, Carrie, and my bestest friend, Rumi, sister for life, Sam Steele. You can call me Samantha Buckley Steele. Got it. Okay. For, pur- for purposes of this podcast. Got it. Okay. So professionally? Professionally, yes. Samantha Buckley Steele. Correct. That's how everyone must refer to her. Mm-hmm. Always. Mm -hmm, Okay. mm -hmm. Yeah, there's no shorthand. So anyway, I'm here with Carrie and Samantha Buckley Steele. um, And we're going to be talking about a hilarious topic today. (laughs) Uh, Being adult children of alcoholics. Um, I think it's going to be an interesting conversation because both Carrie and Samantha Buckley Steele (laughs) are coming from very different perspectives on the subject. One of them is super close and has always been super close to their alcoholic parent. The other was not close at all. And the alcoholism potentially influenced the distance. And so the experience of kind of growing up in a house like that and being raised by a person like that or not being raised by a person like that is going to have different effects on a person. Um, But it also probably has a lot of stuff in common by way of the addiction. So... I want to just have a conversation about it. I have a couple questions that I want to ask to hopefully guide us, but I want to give you both an opportunity to introduce yourselves and say as much or as little as you want to say in this little intro bit, and then we'll jump in. Does that sound okay? Yeah. Sounds good. Okay. Do you want to go first, Carrie? I surely will. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I guess I'll start by introducing myself. My yeah. name is Carrie Paxton. Um, 56-year-old mother of six children who I love very, very much. And um, I'm going back and forth with the debate with myself on whether my father was actually an alcoholic or not. Um, It has been said that he has been. There's been some things that have been, I I have reason to believe he was. Um, However, he wasn't the typical definition of an alcoholic parent. So this is very exciting for me to 
really actually talk about it and address it for the first time really ever. Yeah. I'm really excited to talk about it too. Yeah. Um, hi guys. I'm Samantha Buckley Steele. Um, yeah, I mean, as Holly said, I'm very close with my qualifier, as they would call it in um, Al-Anon, which I've been to a couple times on and off, um, and on and off with therapy, of course. Um, but um, I still have a lot to learn about being um, a child of an alcoholic. It's something, I mean, very different from you, Carrie. I love to talk about openly in in some type of way. Um, I I'm very open about it, um, but the term um, alcoholism didn't come into play for me until I was probably 16 or 17, um, which I'm sure we'll talk about more. But um, yeah, but once once the term alcoholism was really introduced there, I mean, of course, there was there is and was a journey along with that that I'm still very much going on um but yeah i'm excited to talk more about it yeah yeah this time just record it yeah i feel like we talk about it all the time but yeah it's nice to put it put it on record yeah i think there's something at least i'm finding something really nice about documenting conversations like this because i find myself having conversations like this with people close to me very often and it's so meaningful to me and just like such an important part of those relationships. But even if I remember it in my heart as something that changed me or brought me closer to someone or gave me a new perspective, it that conversation is gone. And there's something beautiful in that because the memory I have of it is so sacred and, and that's what I'm taking with me. But there's also something beautiful about you guys saying things about your lives and then listening to it back and being like, wow, I didn't even know I felt that way until I said it out loud. And now I have this kind of snippet of that. And that feels like holding onto a piece of yourself. So I hope you walk away feeling like that a little bit. Um, and that would really be my goal. But I hope you're comfortable throughout this. You can stop me with anything. I have a whole episode on boundaries. Mm-hmm. So please assert them wherever you need to be. I to listen to that one. Oh, okay. Yes. Cool. Thanks. Um, yeah. So feel free to kind of guide this however you want to. But as Sam said in her introduction, it probably makes sense to talk about like when the light bulb, I won't say went off because obviously it's not a light that just goes on and now suddenly you know everything about alcoholism and you know everything about why your upbringing was the way it was. That's not how any of this is going to work. But the moment that the light bulb sort of flickered on for the first time where you noticed a relationship between some sort of behavior in your parent and alcohol. Yeah, I can I can elaborate on it since I um, kind of started talking about it. Um, I mean, for me, it was it was a part of my life, a part of my childhood as long as I can remember. Um, the behaviors, if I really think back on it, were always there. Um, when I was about sixteen or seventeen, um, was when my mom uh after you know a few incidents that were a little bit more heightened um decided to go to alcoholics anonymous and before that just like the term alcohol alcoholism the term alcoholic just seemed very severe to me and 
her going to that program just allowed me to put a label on it in a way that I never had before. Um, yeah, so that was kind of where it all started for me. I mean, I will say, you know, going into this discussion, I dealt with then and, and deal with now a tremendous amount of like, I don't know what the appropriate word is here. I, I struggle a lot to justify the pain of my mother's alcoholism for me because I was in many, many ways very blessed in my upbringing. It was a very upper middle class alcoholism. Um, and that's something that has, you know, kept me from going to Al-Anon and really getting involved in that kind of community, especially in a place like New York where, you know, there are so many varied stories of such, you know, extreme childhoods and, you know, extreme abuse. Um, and I've just come to a place where no one form of alcoholism is any more painful than another. Um, it It is all relative it's all relative and and i i i'm it's sad that uh you know when i first started going to al-anon that i was immediately like oh i can't i can't speak here like you know all of this person's relatives were alcoholics and they were homeless and they you know they dealt with you know such trauma um but so did i right. <laughs> you know and and i'm very grateful that i was for the most part safe Mm -hmm. um, well, interesting that you should say that because my thought process is, like I mentioned earlier, that I, I was unclear as to whether my father was an alcoholic or not because he doesn't doesn't fit the usual, you know, alcoholic situation where he would not have a drink until twelve o'clock in the afternoon. He was not belligerent. He was not mean. He was not aggressive. Um, but that's almost more insidious than if you're a raging right. alcoholic that everybody knows. You know, and they're beating on you or they're doing horrific things to you um, that people can actually visually see. Alcoholism is, can be such an insidious underlying undertone right. of your entire upbringing. Right. And there's, you don't, you can't identify it because you're a kid. You don't know that what's wrong. You just mm -hmm. know that something's wrong. Yeah. yeah. And if you watch a movie or if you, you know, see a TV show and the parent is an alcoholic, it's not the kind of alcoholism that I'm personally talking about um, because in, you know, like in popular media, what the way they're depicting it is that, you know, the more traumatic physical, um, you know, a, a father stumbling in, you know, yeah. that kind of. Um, it's just like back in the days of Stranger Danger when everybody was talking about Stranger Danger and it was all this, you know lurking back person with hoods over their heads and really it turns out that most of the people that hurt you are people that you know and love totally you know what i mean so it's you the depiction of the alcoholic is never truly what everybody's alcoholic experience is yeah yeah i, I mean in general people that have gone through trauma and have experienced pain and abuse and all of these sound like really dramatic words but they are the words to describe the experience of people that grow up, usually describe the experience of people who grow up with parents that for one reason or another have trouble parenting, whether it's an addiction or a mental illness or an, an illness or whatever it may be. It is traumatic for a child and it does affect the stability of the household. 
And that's regardless of if the wounds are on your skin or if they're in your mind. I think calling it insidious, there's really no better word because it really doesn't lack intensity, but it's a lot harder to identify. And it's a lot harder to give yourself the quote unquote trauma card right? to say like, I get to identify as a victim of this. That's really challenging. And it feels like you're taking something from someone else who clearly had it so much worse, or you do count those blessings and you think to yourself, the pain I endured is nothing in comparison to the magnitude of that. But the reality is, if you think about it all the time, in your case, Sam, Mm -hmm. and talk about it all the time, and it affects your life often, even though you're working on it and you're in a much different place than I'm sure you were when you were 16, 17, discovering this for the first time, it's not a small thing. Like, it's an important thing. And I think when something affects you so negatively at a young age, within a family often that, like, doesn't want to acknowledge it, because it's not something that people regard positively like alcoholism. Um, it, it's a long journey to be able to own that for yourself and just say it with your chest. And I sort of feel like, Carrie, you're like going through that always, you know? Well, so for me, alcohol was just such a big part of our lives. I mean, my grandfather came over from Scotland and opened a liquor store and then his sons all opened liquor stores and now I own a liquor store. Yeah. It's just been part of our fabric. So to actually think that that's something that may have hurt my family when it's really helped my family is such a weird yeah. concept. Yeah. That, can you talk more kind of about your background and what maybe was alcoholism in your father, what you're kind of debating? Well, so um, th- when I first thought about the fact that my father may be an alcoholic, it was because my mother and father got divorced, and my mother said, your father's an alcoholic, and <laughs> I didn't really think that, you know? Yeah. He didn't do anything that was um, that was out of the ordinary, except for the fact that when they decided to separate and divorce, then he decided he was no longer really going to be part of my life. And he was literally my hero growing up. I just thought he was the most spectacular person to ever walk on the face of the earth. Uh, but I think a lot of that probably did have to do with not only the person that he ended up with, who didn't really want us around. I mean, he was a grown-ass man. He could have done, would have been part of my life if he chose to. I think the alcoholism didn't give him the energy to even deal with anything. Mm. You know, I think he probably just, you know, couldn't handle it. And like I said, he, you know, he would, he would go to lunch. He would have a shot of manuset in his coffee and a glass of wine with lunch, and then he you know, take a beer for the road, like three, because he lived in Narragansett, which was, God forbid, 40 minutes from the store. <laughs> and then he would go home and drink a bottle of wine with dinner and have beers until he fell asleep on a chair watching television. And that was his daily life. That's and that was your daily life. That was my daily life as well. And um, that's what he used to do. And and I just don't think he had the energy to do anything else. And I think that was kind of sad because I think our relationship after the divorce would have been much better had he had more energy to do those things. So when you think about like the divorce is kind of the marker of you learning that there was anything wrong with your dad's relationship with alcohol, like you never even thought about that before. The divorce was the marker for anything that was ever wrong in any part of my life because like Sammy, I was really fortunate to be brought up in a really, um, you know, I I mean, my parents had money and I had great education. I was very fortunate to have that because I feel like that kept me from being oppressed, you know, because I was... I knew I, any situation that I was in was always a temporary one. But I do think that the divorce was when I first realized that money was a thing. I had no idea that money was even 
I mean, things were just handed to me. I didn't realize. Well, how old were you? So I was 10 when they got separated and then 14 when they got divorced. But between 10 and 14, there was a lot of fighting over money and it was horrific. So um, I think that that was the start of my life of realizing that, you know, shit isn't always what you think it is. Yeah. (laughs) Do you have vivid memories with your dad being involved in your life? Prior? Yeah. So uh, my dad was a really fast runner. So sometimes he'd come home, he'd park at the top of the driveway, and then we'd race, and he always won because he was really, really fast. <laughs> but he, um, but that was like I lived for those moments. Yeah. You know, and he worked a lot. He did a good job with his business. He really did. Um, but he was involved. You know, when The Wizard of Oz came on once a year, I, I always remember sitting with him because I was scared of the witch from The Wizard of Oz. Oh. I mean, yeah. But there were a lot that we did. We did Haxton family picnics. Um, we, we invited everybody from the liquor stores, and they would come and do these picnics and, picnics and stuff. And he and his brothers all owned liquor stores too, so they would all fight during the football games. And but it was I grew up in a very kids were me, meant to be seen and not heard. You mm. had kids, and then they you didn't pay attention to them, and then they raced themselves. Yeah, <laughs> you know that's kind of how it went. Um, so that that's why I don't think I ever really thought about the alcoholism part of it until much later in yeah. life that that might have been uh, an affecting factor on, on his and my relationship. Yeah. Yeah, because if children are meant to be seen and not heard, then it goes both ways. Like, you're not hearing what they're talking about. No. You're not hearing the inner workings of the adult mind. Like, you're off somewhere a mile away playing with your friends and your cousins and coming and home for dinner. snow castles. Yeah, you're so busy. The concept of, of seen and not heard, though, is interesting, though, because, I mean, we talk about generationally like there's big differences there right in terms of how much freedom you had when you were growing up versus kids now but I wonder if the general concept of like seen and not heard is also due to your father's alcoholism because that's something I really relate to a lot growing up even though we were you know a little bit closer to home I feel like on our day-to-day life there was a a a very common practice of like making yourself very small, at least in my personal relationship to the alcoholism, in order to like take up as little emotional space as, as possible. Um, whether that just be like vocally because of so much is happening or like, you know, it sounds like you had a very large extended family going on there, but um, I don't know. I, I wonder if, if that, played into it as well. Yeah, it's really interesting that you say that. So for us, we didn't have to because I don't know how you how you live maybe in a smaller area, but we had 16 acres of land and we were just going yeah. on all the time. And that's where we went. So we didn't take up any emotional space because there was we weren't anywhere right. to, to even know where we were. You know? <laughs> so we would just go out, you know, first thing in the morning and, and just run around all day until dinner time. Yeah. And then we'd come yeah. back in bath, bed, right. out again the next day. So. Yeah, it's interesting to think of like the generational difference between sort of the helicopter parents of the 90s, arguably to today, mm-hmm. compared to like parents like 20 years prior. And the level of involvement, I think, influences the behavior of the child, even if both experiences left you kind of lacking something. <laughs> mm-hmm. I feel like if you're in a household that you are really close to, like, with your parents specifically. Not that, like, you aren't off an acre away playing with your peers, 
but you're in your household with your parents and maybe one sibling Mm -hmm. and that's kind of your world when you're not at school there are some rules that you absorb there about kind of like how to behave and I think if alcohol is in the mix that is a big factor in what those rules are Mm -hmm. that influences what you can talk about what you can point out what time something is safe what time something shouldn't be approached Mm -hmm. whereas if you have no contact with that not only are you completely unaware of what's happening with these people that made you people that like you should have been able to know more about but also you don't have space to talk to them about how you're feeling so to think that like prior to 10 you don't really have a concept of how things were or anything being bad it's because nobody was talking to you about it Right, so in my world, everything was good. Exactly. <laughs> You're like, I think everything's good, but there's nobody asking me, like, how do you feel about that? Oh. Or how is this going? So you're like, I, I'm I'm good. I'm playing with my buddies. Yeah. When really, if somebody took the time to say, oh, hey, that one time that you cried over there and you had no idea why, if there had been a person there to ask you why you were crying, maybe it would have been tough because like you would have had to confront something that was difficult emotionally, but also it would have given you an opportunity to even know and to know that part of yourself sooner. Do you think that's true? No, I do. I think that would have been very helpful to understand, especially going through the separation parts of it. They were the the divorce overshadowed everything. So there was no, I didn't know why the divorce was happening. My parents were perfect people. I was 10 years old. It was lovely. And I had no idea. And nobody wanted to talk about it. And everybody was busy, you know, dealing with whatever parts of their problems that I had no idea existed, you know. And so then they just kind of, there was no explanation. There was yeah. no contact really to to uh, discuss it. And, and there's was, no contact. She was bad in other people's eyes. And so there was no way, there was nothing to, there was nothing to discuss. There was, they didn't tell us anything. Yeah. And you're an adolescent doing your best to make it make sense because now suddenly you are a part of it and it does really affect you, but you still aren't given that context really. Like right. now you don't have the context of what it was before. You're finally learning all of this news about the situation at hand that you were completely oblivious to. Because and, oh it, yeah, by the way, your father's now. Right. Like that's. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, uh, Cool. So he's an alcoholic and also I don't live with him anymore. And what does any of this mean? I think not having any introduction to those concepts, like how are you supposed to make that make sense? And I think for you, like you had a concept of what an alcoholic was. You'd watched movies, but if your mom held a job and had a family and was still married, took you to school, totally Mm -hmm. functioning, had friends in this rich life, it's not the same. And even if her drinking too much wine or too much liquor sometimes makes you feel weird, you're able to kind of gaslight yourself and be like, oh, but it must be fine because it's my mom and and she's doing great. And And this is what moms do. This is just just the way life is. Yeah. 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 I'm interested to hear about both of your other parents' relationship to alcohol Not to say that they really have much to do with each other, but I have to imagine that like a couple, both of your parents are at this point, they they were divorced. They got divorced when you were kids and still living under their roof. And I'm interested in like 
the non-alcoholic parents perspective on alcohol while you were growing up or and or their perspective on it post divorce does that bring up any well for me uh, my mom doesn't really drink that much you know she'll drink a scotch here and there so she's not really and she doesn't not drink she doesn't agree that drinking is bad she doesn't drink because it doesn't agree with her system yeah um so she's not yeah so she would never have she was not an alcoholic she can't really physically be one <laughs> right even if she tried um, but she was the one who pointed out the alcoholism in my father. And of course that came after the divorce. So it's hard for me as, I mean, I did, I did see that my father did drink over the course of the day. He did. Um, so it was hard for me to be believe that what she was saying was true because in my mind, an alcoholic was such a bad person mm -hmm. and my father was not a bad person. He was just not ambitious and thoughtful. <laughs> He so, fell asleep in his chair, but yeah. he... But didn't all dads do that? Right. Yeah, didn't like, all didn't moms work? drink a little too much? Yeah, I mean, it's just kind of that was the normal. Yeah. You know, so for her to have brought that up afterward, I didn't know whether it was just vindictive. Right. Or whether she was actually right. And then, you know, the divorce overtook everything. So that was the focus. And then, of course, then I got married and then I had kids. And I never really addressed the fact that my father was probably, in fact, an alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Sam? Um, yeah, I mean, kind of similar um, to your situation. My dad was never much of a drinker, um, likes a beer with dinner, likes to go to a brewery and have a flight, um, but um, was just, I don't think I've ever seen my dad drunk um, ever. I just, I can't really imagine it. Um, it's funny, I'm growing up, um, my sister and I had a lot of families that had um, siblings the same exact age that all had like two girls the same exact age. And we would just go to a lot of like dinner parties or different things like that. And the kids would play and the uh, parents would all sit around drinking. And a lot of, a lot of the parents, you know, over drank, but it was always my mom going toe to toe with like someone's dad. <laughs> yeah. And then um, at a certain uh, point of the night, you know, pulling her out of her chair, um, you know, not necessarily, necessarily physically, but, um, yeah. And I remember just always thinking that that was very interesting. Um, cause obviously alcoholism is not gendered, but I just, at the time was like, it is, it's strange to me that my mom and Mr. So-and-so are the drunkest two people in the room. Um, and it's always just been that way to me. Like I, I, it's always just been interesting that my dad just never drinks. And I mean, he, he has what I would consider a very healthy relationship with alcohol, honestly. Um, like he thinks that vodka is a good stocking stuffer, but like you would never see him just drinking vodka at, or going to a party and having more than two drinks. Um, yeah. 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 It was just kind of a normal dynamic, but mm -hmm. then I'm just imagining like you as a child watching this, going on and having a narrative about your mom and that narrative not really including alcohol yet at this point. Oh, frankly, I thought my dad was like a fuddy-duddy. Right, exactly. I've never said that word before in my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> the words fuddy-duddy have you just said never fuddy-duddy. Fuddy-duddy. <laughs> no, yeah, I just was like, I mean, because also in hindsight, he wasn't that close to those families anyway. Yeah. <laughs> you know, not to bash my, my dad's relationships, but 
I don't think that he was comfortable in those settings because he didn't really like to drink. And, yeah. But at the time, I, I, I'm sure I looked at the situation and was like, yeah. Well, like, you know, oh, tended to be was every time you went into that situation, knowing that maybe your mom was going to right. go toe to toe with the other dad that liked to. Yeah. So he was probably already going in with a whole totally idea. right, and and just the the larger dynamic in my family. It, it, my mom is such a personality. That's where I was gonna go. Yeah, like the, us. I mean, you can't really say alcoholism aside because it's it's very intertwined. But but she is she fills a room with laughter, with her voice, with just so much personality. Um, so many and, presents that she sends. <laughs> when you come to my house <laughs> yes um yeah and and none of that detracts from my dad's personality which is equally as loving and equally as joyful but it is um much more gentle and 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 quieter and subdued yeah. um but yeah I I'm think just... there was always a I from a very young age like I didn't know the term like opposites attract and obviously their marriage has since dissolved, but I always knew that my parents were opposites in, in almost all ways. Right. Um, but I, growing up, thought my dad was too strict, thought that he was no fun. I, I definitely had, you know, and he was, you know, more, you know, more likely the one to enforce something. Um, but looking back on it now, I, I can like see that for, for what it is. It was, right. it was his own management of chaos. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And I imagine through a child's eyes, like opposites attract. My mom's this huge personality. My mm. dad's a fuddy duddy. Yeah. And she's going toe to toe with so-and-so's dad, but that has nothing to do with the beer because she'll go against so-and-so's mom doing a cartwheel across the yeah. gymnasium floor. Right. And she'll get Sober into a competition or, yeah. with, like, a stranger in line for the bathroom. So <laughs> regardless of the alcohol, especially as a child who doesn't understand, like, what that does to a person mm -hmm. and nobody's talking to you about it, you just look at that and you see, oh, my mom's being crazy and, like, mm -hmm. my dad's over there being boring. Mm -hmm. And it changes your perspective on everything when you do start to understand the impact of alcohol and it ends up being destabilizing later on even if you were totally fine with it at the time or thought you were now if you look back on that you're like wait what did i understand what was my reality yeah. at that point yeah, so different completely mm -hmm. different and that's its own bag of crap that you need yeah. to kind of deal with once it does get introduced into the mix and you, you confront that word for like what it is right and if when your mom said to you, Carrie, that your dad was an alcoholic and kind of just threw that out there and he's not in our lives anymore, did she elaborate? Uh, no, not really. Uh, no. He just was that. And it wasn't that he wasn't in my life anymore. You know, he would take us on Tuesdays. <laughs> and... Wait, that's um, so weird because Tuesday night was my dad and I's like really? father daughter date night. Like when they got to work. Yeah. I mean, they, they, we didn't have like a schedule or anything because I was a little bit older, but for some reason we also picked Tuesdays. And Tuesday like, oh, is literally dinner. the worst day of the week. It, I think that's what it is. <laughs> I loved it though. I loved yeah. a Tuesday date night. Yeah, Pong was great. Yeah. And I used to love going with my dad because I loved my dad. I loved my dad. And I really wanted him to be part of my life. It, it, but, you know, between the divorce and apparently the alcoholism, 
he didn't like my teenage years very much. Yeah. So yeah. can you talk more about that? Like post your mom saying, BTW, your dad's an alcoholic. Now you're seeing him on Tuesdays. You're 14. Yeah. You're a teenager. What was the dynamic between you and your dad at that point? Um, it was tough because I, he was he. My dad should have been a pediatrician. He was very good with young children. He really was. He actually diagnosed my cousin Dale with um, her deafness. Oh wow! Yeah, but he just his parents made him stay at the store, and he just did the store, and that's what he did. Probably because he was an alcoholic, and he didn't feel like going off and doing anything else. I don't know, but he. I think he always regretted not doing something like that. But then you got to your teenage years, and both mom and dad struggled with the teenage years because, you know, I was a teenage girl. Right. <laughs> difficult. Um, so I don't think he had the uh, capability of handling that. And by that point, I was like 14, 15 years old, and I was stealing stuff from the store, like vodka and <laughs> you know, things that I wasn't, shouldn't have, not have been doing. So um, there was a lot of, yeah, I can't take her because she's just more than I can handle right now. So right. we went through a very long period of just not, you know, just kind of in and out and fighting. Yeah. And I was angry with him. So yeah. I'm very angry. So, yeah. He, you know, he was, it was just easy for him. I think as the male in the situation, he could just kind of extract himself from the situation. Did you know why you were angry with him? Uh, I just felt like, yeah, just, you just wasn't there for me, you know, and yeah. I really needed, I needed somebody. Nobody, everybody was so busy with the divorce that doing mean things to each other that nobody was really truly there for my brother and I, you know, we were just kind of left. And then, so that meant I had to be there for my brother because he was four years younger than me, four and a half years. So when we were trying to figure out where we were going to live, cause I was 14, so I could pick, I would like to have lived with my dad because he, there, were, there would have been no rules because he just was not into <laughs> worrying about that type of thing. Yeah. But I knew that my brother needed my mother, so and I knew he was going to go wherever I went. So I ended yeah. up living with my mom, which was, you know, interesting. Do you ever think about what would have happened if, if I lived with my dad? Yeah, I would have been. I don't know. I think I would have been a wild child. Yeah. Yeah, because my mom was pretty strict. Yeah, but I just—it's like I can't even fathom. It's so funny that now you own a liquor store, right? And yeah. like, it's connected to that side of the family. Yeah even though you are so much closer to your mom and you like lived in her house under her roof with your brother. But I'm so much closer to, so my mom's family, I'm not really that close to anymore. I was very close to my grandparents who are now gone, but her sister and her sister's children. Um, we were close when we were kids and now we're just not. Yeah. We grew up with money and they grew up with not. So they were, they struggled with the fact that my brother and I grew up in the household. We did not really realizing how bad it was right. after the divorce. But I'm very close to my father's side of the family, and so is my mother. Mm. She's very close to my father's side of the family too. Yeah. My mother has that big personality. You know, she walks into our room and everybody's you know very happy to see her. And my dad was very quiet, but funny, um, in your ear. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But he wasn't like a he wasn't a boisterous person. It's so funny. It's like you. You just have no idea what's going on in the inner world of a parent. You just don't understand that they're people. Yeah. There's all of this stuff happening. And it makes sense that you were fine being not paid attention to when you were younger. But well, you were always there. Yeah. Like, like you were fed and you were good. I was bleeding. I'd go get a Band-Aid. They yeah. Were but like when you're 14 and like now you're, you're starting to be a lot more thoughtful and 
feel a lot more things and you are becoming an adult. Like you're starting that journey. You need somebody to be there for you. Yeah. And, and you're literally screaming with stupid actions. I got problems. Exactly. And nobody's hearing you. Yeah. You're yelling like nobody understands me. Yeah. And, and it's like, don't. you don't, but also, can you please just ask me? Yeah. Can you just ask me how I'm doing? Yeah. Yeah. It makes yeah. sense. Thinking about like rules, you're saying that your dad, no rules if you'd lived with him. Well, he tried to do rules. So I would go down to his house and, um, you know, he would fall asleep in the chair and then bring himself up to bed. He was living with his uh, wife. I think they had gotten married at the time. And then he would lock all the doors, but I knew that the, sliding glass door where the porch was wasn't secure so i could go and crawl down onto his van and run up the street to my friend andy broder's house yeah. nice so um those things i could have done very easily my father could put stuff over my father all the time he yeah just, he was too tired to pay attention right and in terms of like emotional rules inside the house you were fighting but you were fighting about on the surface your behavior and the way that you were acting out and none of the fights were about the relationship, even if that's what was underlying. Is that true? Yes. Okay. And, and you know, a lot of the, like, as I look back on different things, um, and I think this might be an alcoholic mind that does this, that nothing's right. Like you can do this this way and they tell you to do it this way and then you do it and it's not right. Mm -hmm. So you should have been done doing it this way. And that was a really hard thing because you're trying to do everything. I and mean, this is a stupid example, but I kind of feel like I should bring it up. I just vividly remember skiing, who used to go skiing, um, and he would ski past me and he'd be like, slow down, work on your, you know, style, you know, work on your move, you know, the way you're moving and stuff. And I'd be like, all right. So I'd slow down and work on that. Then he'd come by me again and be like, you're so slow. Why aren't you, why aren't you skiing faster than that? And I'm thinking, what do you want from me? <laughs> you know, which, yeah. I mean, that's a just very small example, but that's probably the constant thing that was happening. No, it's a time. wonderful illustration of what it felt like to be learning the rules from him. Yeah, You're like, they're always changing. <laughs> always. And he's going to be mad at me either way. Mm -hmm. So how do, how am I supposed to follow this? Maybe I just break them. Maybe that's kind of the way I cope with that. Yeah. Yeah. I'll just do what I want. Yeah. I mean, I like whatever I do. So I'll just do what I want. I'll just do, do what I want. Yeah. For you, Sam, you mentioned like, it was clear that you needed to take up as little space as possible. And that to me kind of sounds like a rule. It's not a rule that anybody told you about. Yeah. Maybe the rule was like, don't talk about X, Y, Z outside of the family. Is that something that was asked of you or is it something that you just felt? It's it's something that I just felt. Um, I think because nobody was, was calling it alcoholism, that it was just behavior that just happened and wasn't spoken of. I mean, as I got older, like towards, you know, the, the point where we did start using that word, um, I rebelled in some ways, um, that were like trying to like wave a flag at the behavior in that, like, I would refuse to get in the car. And like, I remember distinctly walking, it had to be like an hour and 45 minutes mm -hmm. to a rehearsal. Were um, you afraid to get in the car? No, because I had, I, I had gotten into the car so many times. I just got to a age or a mood or what, you know, whatever it was that I wanted to like more, try and make a statement. Yeah. Um, and I would try and do that in, in various ways. And that felt like a rebellion, but I felt very powerful doing yeah. that. 
Uh, like I, you know, like I was miserable walking, you know, an hour and 45 minutes, but then my dad had to pick me up on the side of the road and my, his mother was in town. And then that was like, I knew that was not okay. Cause her behavior had to be called out to like, yeah, you're like, look enemy at number this. one. Um, yeah. yeah. So, um, nothing was explicitly, you know, spoken, but in doing those sort of like, you know, calls for attention to the behavior, I felt like I had, you know, broken. Yeah. Broken the broken status the rule. quo there. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense to me. Yeah. It's funny because I, when you're describing not getting in the car, but you're saying like, I wasn't, I wasn't scared. Oh, I can relate to that so deeply because there were statements that I would make, like being up in arms about somebody being late to pick me up or being up in arms about coming home and like this one chore that was promised to be done in the morning by my mom, like not being done. Chore sounds like I was assigning it, but I just mean something that she promised she would do hadn't been done. And then I saw that she was like doing whatever in the backyard and I put on this whole display about how upset I was about that. Right. And I wasn't upset. <laughs> like, no. looking back now, of course I was. But at the time, I did not feel upset. Yeah. I didn't feel scared. I didn't think to myself, I need to make a statement about what's going on here because something needs to change. It's more like, I don't like this at all. Mm -hmm. And I need to make it uncomfortable for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the, the specific example I'm thinking of. Like, I think she had probably two and a half glasses of wine. Right. But I also knew that by the time we left, the bottle would probably have been done. But like at that moment of, you know, saying no, I, the situation was not even in comparison to like the worst of, right. of days, but um, I got to a point where I was just, yeah, really looking to push back. Yeah. And I feel like I did, I did rebel in like the more standard ways, but I was always very safe about it. Like in, it, even if I was doing crazy things or drinking alcohol or whatever, like I, I really feel like I didn't, I didn't go there really in those ways. And I, I think it's just, well, I mean the, the, the first time I ever came home really drunk, I woke up the next morning, like so sick, like, wow, that was awful. And my mom was crying and saying that she was so sorry. Wow. And that it was all her fault. Interesting. And that, have I never told you this? No. Oh, yeah. That I came home, like, from not the first party I'd been to, but, like, the first time I got caught. And I had, you know, thrown up. And I was woke up the next morning. And, and um, yeah, I, I didn't I didn't get punished because she she felt like I was rebelling against her behavior. When really I wasn't. Like, that's not what it felt like to me. No, you were drunk for the first time and threw up. Like, that's what yeah. happened. Or, like, I drank too much for the first time. I was like, oh, I've been drinking for a year. Like, <laughs> I just, like, you know, uh, didn't didn't judge my intake last night. But, um, yeah, and I, there was something so infuriating about that uh, to me because I was like, I'm not. I'm not rebelling, like, that way because that's not the way that I personally am choosing to rebel against mm -hmm. her. Like, I think because I was like, my version of rebelling against your alcoholism is not to go get sick from drinking alcohol, like, you know, for me personally, and that's not to say that that's not an appropriate response. But um, I, I remember just being really mad 
that she thought that that's what it was. Well, because I guess on one, I, I'm on the exact same page as you. Yeah. Like, my breed of rebellion was like, oh, okay, I'm going to be super buttoned up then. And I'm going to, like, do everything right. Yeah. And you're going to look at me and be like, look at this star. Right. <laughs> Whereas, look at my life and shambles, like, how did she get this way? That's what my 17-year-old mind, like, that's where right. I was at. That's pretty ambitious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, there's, I mean, if you, like, Google, I think, like, you know, children of alcoholism, there is a need for, like, I'm going to organize my life and I'm going to, there's a very type A-ness, I think, that comes from, I think we both relate to. I'm not type A Yes, you are. Yes, you are. You don't even know. For context listeners, Carrie is doing laundry at all hours of the day. She does not put dirty clothes in her laundry basket. Well, I think I have an OCD issue. No, you you like things a certain way, and you know that you know how to do it best. I do know that. Yeah, it's just true. But that's what it means. That's I I don't. But I'm also flexible. Totally. So I don't. I think I'm not. I, I can see what you're saying, and I definitely think I am. I do have a type A controlling uh, personality. Yeah. I do like things a certain way, but I do. I am flexible at the same time. Totally. You know, yeah. Well, I think I that, go off the, the the script. I feel the same way. I mean, I I sh- I think I struggle against. Uh, uh, my instinct in most situations is like, this will be better if I decide if I do something myself, or like if I, yeah, like this will be better if like I can drive this myself. I I struggle against that. I think more so than like people know. Yeah, quite honestly, because I, because that what because that was my form of rebellion for such a long time. I was like, I'm gonna do this. I can do this. I've got it covered. You know, like I can pair myself. I can do, you know, yeah. X, Y, Z. And, and I don't feel like that's true in my life. Like, I don't think things will necessarily better if, be better if I'm the sole person driving it. Like, I just don't agree with that concept anymore. And it's been a struggle kind of to stop me, feeling that to way. stop feeling that yeah. way. I think because I think my instincts are more like type A. Yeah, to define type A, in my opinion, at least, I don't think that it's associated with like being rigid. I just think of it more as associated with like, I like things a certain way. I know how to do them a certain way. I have this under control no matter what. It's gonna get done. Like I'm dependable. I'm always on it. Like you can always count on me. And that's absolutely you, you know? Yeah. And that's- I think it gets associated with like, you have a stick up your ass. And yeah. Like, obviously you are not somebody who has a stick yeah. up your ass. Right. You know what I mean? Like that's not- No. Yeah. But I also think it's really important to point out, cause like I have that personality type too, and I've let it go a ton because there were points where I was just like, I'm driving people insane by trying to take control of everything. So I really need to figure this out, but it's still completely my instinct and being in an unstable household growing up at whatever degree, being in some sort of unstable situation when somebody else should kind of be guiding you and they aren't, it makes you both the captain of your own ship, but also extremely adaptable because in both of your situations, you couldn't predict what was going to happen. Like, yes, you would know that your dad was going to fall asleep in the chair. And yes, you would know that like your mom would probably finish a bottle of wine that night. Mm -hmm. 
those things were predictable. But in terms of like what the rule was going to be on the ski slope, should you go slower or should you go faster? Or in terms of like, are you going to be mad at me for drinking? Or how did you somehow make this about you? All of this is completely unpredictable. Yeah. You have to be on your toes and to and be ready to change and be ready to kind of go with the flow. Because even though you are trying to take control of every single little thing that you can, there's so much that you cannot control. And it's terrifying, especially for children, I think. Like if you think about the role that kids take in families with alcoholics and I am not in one but like I know a lot of people who are and I've talked to them about it and talked to Sam about it a ton obviously you take on a role of your own care to a degree there of course were a million things that your mom did to care for you throughout her alcoholism Absolutely, yeah. but there were elements where you're like I actually need to have this good by myself and that's not a traditional or healthy role for a kid to take. Right. And you, Carrie, clearly were in the same boat. You're like, oh, I I have to handle this. For sure. And and, and it did happen so young. And, and my parents were so absorbed that and my brother was just left out. So he was my other yeah. issue. And not that I was always nice to him, because I was not. He'll tell you many stories. I was going to ask you, because I'm, I'm the youngest yeah. and you're the oldest. Yes. Um. Yeah, what, what was well, that I was, like? I, I, was, yeah, I was absolutely mean to him, but nobody else could be mean to him. Only I could be mean mm-hmm. to him. So if anybody else was mean to him, that person had to talk to me. That was a problem for me. But I always felt like I took care of him. And we, it was really cute because we were probably, I don't know, maybe five or six years ago, we were walking through New York, and he walked up on the side of me. Everybody was with everybody. I think he might have met you there, too. I think I was, wasn't around that long ago. Maybe it was how, how long have you been? It's been I've years. been around two years. No, it, 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 it just feels, like a, feels like a lifetime. And we've just been all my kids okay. all together, and my mom. And um, they were all walking there. together, and he <laughs> and I was walking, and he pulled me, uh, you know, past everybody. And he said, you know, he said, I, as we're sitting here and I'm watching you with your kids, because they were all four, he said, I just wanted to thank you so much for always being there for me when I was a kid. He said, I know that there was a lot of decisions you had to make for the both of us, that you probably would have gone a different direction if it wasn't me with you. Totally. But um, but it was like such a sweet moment. That's, yeah. and, uh, That's really nice. So validating yeah. too, because I, I have to imagine being that older sibling in an unstable situation, like my brother went through it, your sister went through it, you went through it. It You feel all of this responsibility because you're watching – the, the adults not pick up the slack and you can tell that something needs to be done, but you have absolutely no credentials. <laughs> you are not equipped to do this job, but you see that the job must be done and you're getting pressure to do it, whether it's direct pressure or indirect pressure just by way of it not being done. Like you feel that weight. So you do the job, but inevitably it's not great. You're not going to well parent your younger sibling who's like, three, four years younger than you, you're not going to do a good job, except clearly you did for him. But in your own head, like, you're not ready for that. And there's so much resentment toward the situation that exists, kind of putting you there, you know, and I have to imagine there's anger, but it's outweighed by the responsibility and just kind of like what needs to be done in the moment. Does that sound true? Where are we going to live? Yeah, where are we going to live? Right. <laughs> this is not, yeah. yeah, and you're like, I 
I don't know. I'm 14 years old. I don't like either one of these people. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I, I know that my brother absolutely felt the same where it was like, I didn't sign up to have a child. <laughs> I am a child. What's the deal with this? But also the younger child ends up being left with also an inappropriate role, which is either being the emotional support for the parent once that older child has kind of fled the coop. I think that's pretty common. Or just having to raise themselves once that person's out of the picture, if they've drawn a boundary, whatever it may be, that younger child's left there also without any tools and and anyone kind of being there for them. Does and that... I know I left when I was 17, so I know my brother was really, really devastated when I left. Even though we were teenagers, we fought a lot, but he was crushed when I left. It was really hard because he, le- he lost that person who fully understood what he went through as he was going through all of that stuff. Exactly. I'm the only person who knows what he felt while he was going through it because I went through it with him. Yeah. I think that's interesting, though, because of course you went through it together, and if there's anyone who knows how it felt, it's him, but at the same time, you also went through completely different experiences mm-hmm. because you were being asked, Carrie, where are we going to live? Yeah. You know? Yeah. So it's terrible for him and it's terrible for you. And both of you were there together and being seen by that person in that way is huge and losing it. I'm sure for him was like terrifying, but at the same time, you are alone in the experience of being that older child and being made to be that parent. Um, and I think that's really common for for kids of alcoholics to kind of end up in this position of responsibility and parenting and being in over their head and knowing that if they don't step up to the plate, it's going to be absolute chaos. Right. And then, you know, the other thing that, that I wonder sometimes what, what happens is I ended up marrying somebody with an addictive personality. So I wonder how much that had to do with that whole situation you know totally I married and ended up divorced and you're you know looking for that person that's going to be your person you really I hope Samantha Samantha Buckley Buckley Steele I hope that you take your time to find the person that's right for you as opposed to finding the person that you might be comfortable with because your comfort zone is such a weird place yeah in your past I mean I obviously haven't had that many serious relationships up until this point but I can pinpoint I can pinpoint some people that I've dated in the past that have definitely felt like a comfort zone, but it's because the the personality was like a you know unstable. Unstable, fiery, fiery and passionate to the point of um chaos. Yeah. And because that feels like home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. When you think of the role you took on Sam mm-hmm. as the younger sibling, both when your sister was in the house and when she wasn't. Yeah. Like, what was that like? Um, Yeah, I mean, from a young age, there was always just this narrative that I was my mother's daughter and that my sister was my father's daughter. Like, she was very much a steel and I was very much a cane. Um, I don't know where that came from. I guess just like, like, if you like initial appearance or like, I don't really know. Like, we just, so for as long as I can remember, I, I just felt... Um, like my mom was my person, especially in like a, a four person nuclear family like that, when you are kind of assigned those roles, it just felt like this, this is the way that, you know, life is. And, um, I've always felt emotionally responsible, um, for my mother. I don't know if it's for that reason or, or 
or what, but um, I've, I've felt that way for a long time. Um, and yeah, I mean, the, the peak of um, her alcoholism happened when my sister was already in college. Um, so there was a lot that uh, I tackled on my own during the divorce, um, post-divorce. Um, and it's interesting that you, you brought up like different narratives because I know I, I felt just rejuvenated in like the past couple of years in terms of my relationship with my sister and discovering that like, oh, just because we both like lived in the same small house, you know, at you know, with each other does not mean that we had the same experience. Like our narratives are are different. Our experiences are completely different. And, and I don't know why I would have thought they were the same, you know, but I think there was a part of me that just was like, well, she experienced what I experienced, but she doesn't feel XYZ and I feel XYZ and I had to do XYZ. And it's like, well, no, like we, we have very different relationships there. And so the, the ways that we cope with it and handle it are inevitably going to be very unique. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. 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 Did you align particularly with one parent as opposed to the other? Like, were you pigeonholed into being your yeah, father's I think, daughter? But I think we were pigeonholed not because, I mean, it was just my mom liked my brother a lot more than she liked me. She just did. And I just thought my dad was the best thing ever. So he was my guy. And then, you know, when the divorce happened, he was, my guy was gone. And my mom and my brother were the team. And then I was just the third wheel on that particular trolley. <laughs> so that kind of stunk. Yeah. Yeah. It really stinks. Yeah. And this is my guy. Yeah. And also if that's your guy, you're alone. <laughs> Like, who do you have? Yeah. And clearly, you did actually have your brother, or more accurately, he had you. He felt like he had you through all of that. Yeah. But you were older. He wasn't going to be able to let you lean on him at the time. You didn't have anyone to lean on if your dad was that person. Or not even lean on, but, like, admire. You didn't have that person because your mom was like, I'm actually going to focus over here. Yeah. Um. And that's terrible. It's really awful. When you think about how, obviously, everyone's childhood influences relationships in adulthood, like we were just talking about, like, you, Carrie, married an addict and uh, thankfully have since divorced him. Sam, you've dated people with fiery personalities who are chaotic and causing a stir. But I have to imagine that translated slash translates as passionate like mm -hmm. there's no other way to think about it until something bad actually does happen and you're like oh crap what sort of looked like passion is now very familiar is now super yeah. familiar in a really traumatizing way I know I absolutely had multiple relationships when I was young that were just like recreating family dynamics that were not good and I did know they weren't good but were all I knew and getting into them, I noticed the similarities, but I was like, that's my family. So, yeah, of course I'm going to be with somebody who's similar to my family. Those are my people. That's where I come from. Mm -hmm. But if you look at the dynamic and you do know it's broken and you're just repeating the cycle over and over again, there's such dissonance there. And it's really difficult to get to that point and be like, I have to go against what feels natural to me. Because what feels natural is coming from a place that was not 
good for me. Does that resonate with you? Yeah. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. Um, yeah. I mean, I personally, I just, the more I talk about it, the more I, I feel confident that the cycles can be broken. Totally. Like that's why I talk about it as much as I do. Um, just, I just feel like it helps. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can confidently say my partner, Carrie's son <laughs> is just so stable. Like if you think, and of course I want him to like have therapy and be able to kind of go through his own ups and downs and have the opportunity for all of that. But he's just a stable guy that you meet him and you know, you can rely on him and that he's going to be a peaceful presence for you, which is wild. Cause he's like climbing on the ceiling and like <laughs> taking off his clothes and like being completely crazy. But actually at the heart of him is just someone who you can really rely on and who is not gonna play games with you. He's such a sweet boy. Well, and it's just completely foreign to me. And not to say that there wasn't love in my family or that I wasn't familiar with any sort of stability, but by and large, my experience in my household was just like, ups and downs and unpredictability and never knowing what was going to upset someone and never knowing kind of how something was going to go despite desperately trying to like read every motion that anyone would make or read every shift in energy in the room it was such an adjustment for me with Ron to not have to do that (laughs) like it's still an adjustment to this day but it's so much easier and such a weight off my shoulders but for the first year it was just like you crossed your arms and you didn't say blah 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 when I asked you whatever and six hours ago I noticed that your eyebrows went up when I walked by you and I said sorry for so and so but I don't know if you actually forgive me for it and he's just like I don't know what you're talking about (laughs) like that I didn't experience that that way everything's fine and it just took so much to be able to kind of trust that and like that and like get used to it and be able to adopt that as my norm and kind of the way that my life could be and my relationships could be because even in friendships my closest friendships absolutely categorized by volatility and even if it wasn't volatility on my end even if i was the stable one in that dynamic who was kind of trying to keep the peace or trying to tone things down or de-escalate because that was my role in my family the other person i was in contact with it was comfortable for me for them to be absolutely chaotic so it it is a really hard cycle to break and like it's gonna be it's really hard to break that cycle and get comfortable with something that is completely opposite to the blueprint you had before and the way that your body and your memories and your experience naturally pulls you. Yeah. Sam, are you at a point where like, you know, you're not going to recreate that cycle, but you still haven't gotten into the next phase? I mean, quite frankly, no. I mean, I don't at this point in my life feel hundred percent confident that like, I won't be a middle-aged alcoholic. Yeah. Um, it's something I think about like all the time because 
I, I love a beverage. I love all the beverages. Like I love to go out. Like I, those are still things that I really enjoy. Um, but I think about the level of, you know, unhappiness that led my mother to drink as much as she did and, and the unpacked trauma in her life. Um, and I, I feel confident I'm on a very good path to not recreate that pattern specifically. Um, just in talk, I feel like a broken record, but just in, in talking about it as much as I do, because, um, and, and feeling confident that I can put words to my emotions in a way that I w- wasn't able to 10 years ago. I mean, I don't, th- I think part of the reason that alcohol played such a big part and plays such a big part in her life is because there is a lot of untapped trauma, a lot of, you know, a lot of unhappiness with no other outlet, no other band-aid. So in terms of recreating that pattern, I I feel confident that should a time come down the line where I'm, you know, feeling those feelings, I can properly medicate instead of self-medicating. Yeah. Um, But it's something I think about all the time. I mean, and, and in terms of the pattern of putting people, inserting people into my life that are um, that have addictive personalities or are just not stable in that way. Um, I, I, I feel confident. Um, you but- make jokes about like your second husband, right? <laughs> and, yeah. and I'm not saying uh, I like, I'm not saying I hear those and I'm like, Sam, do you want to talk about this? Like, that's not what I'm saying yeah. at all. But I do think it's, like, worth noting that oh, for sure, for there's sure. an air of, like, maybe I will marry a volatile person at first and they'll be a piece of shit. Yeah. And then the second one will come around and yeah, be awesome. I, I mean, I, I obviously don't wish that for myself. But I, I think I look at my growth, right? And it, and it is still happening so rapidly that, like, I'm curious, I'm, I'm curious, but I do feel confident also at the same time that if I were to get into that situation and I, and then I were to remove myself from it, that I would be fine. Right. And Um, you would know, like, I needed to remove myself from that situation. I'm like, listen, when I say I'm going to be thrice divorced, I mostly joking. (laughs) I think it more, from my perspective, I'm more so like, I'm able to say it like hearted because I just feel confident I would remove myself from that situation right. eventually. Yeah. Um, if you think about how, Carrie, I want to ask you first, if you think about how your relationship with your father, I would say post the knowledge of his alcoholism, if you want to call it knowledge, the introduction of that being a possibility. If you think of your relationships with friends and family members, but like the family members you socialize with or your kids or a partner, how do you think your relationship with him impacted those relationships later in your life? Uh, Well, we had an interesting, um, like uh, my relationship with him was volatile from my teenage years to uh, probably about the time that he turned 55. And then all of a sudden, like, I would see him at times, but not a lot of times. And there was, you know, things that I should have been invited to on his side of the family that I was and just, you know, crappy things that, you know, I could go on for hours with. But 
all of a sudden when he turned 55, he started, he called me and decided he wanted to come visit my house, which he had never done. I literally said, when he called me, I said, oh, who died? Because I thought somebody was dead. There was no other reason for him to call me. And um, he ended up dying when he was 59. But for those four mm -hmm. years, we had like a glorious relationship. It was wow. really nice. Like he'd call me and say, hey, I got tickets to a show. Do you want to, do you want them? He wouldn't go with me. But he would offer them, which was nice. So yeah. to do. He was calling and he was reaching out and he was trying. So I think he came to some kind of an epiphany where, like, I wasn't probably the person he decided that I, he thought I was. Mm -hmm. And um, I think he might have come to grips with maybe who he was during that time. Yeah. Um, but I think my relationship, I absolutely had daddy issues. Yeah. There's mm -hmm. just no doubt about it. Yeah. I really struggled with that. I wanted his attention very badly, and I did not get it. Yeah. And then I just married the wrong person. Yeah. And then I dated the wrong people. Yeah. And now I'm just done with that part yeah. of it. And I feel blessed that it went down that path. I had awesome children. I wouldn't change it now looking back because I, my children wouldn't be the people that they are. So I'm very blessed that I got good things out of that and they are not with their father. Yeah. <laughs> Which is very good. But I absolutely picked the wrong people because of him. There's yeah. no doubt about it. Yeah. Did it change your perspective on yourself when he started reaching out to you? Uh, yeah, it was, um, it did make me feel really good. I felt very, um, blessed that I actually, I, I feel very blessed that I had that four years. My brother did not. He and my brother were still kind of in a weird place when he did die. And I'm sad for him that he didn't get that opportunity to kind of reconnect. And I think my father was trying to reconnect and he knew he could reconnect with me first because mm. I was the one who was going to be very open to that connection. And I think he would have moved on to really trying to reconnect with my brother. And honestly, I think he would have probably tried to reconnect with my mother in some on some level. Yeah. You know, he did start showing up at my kids' functions, which hmm. was really nice. Yeah. You know. Um, so I felt I do feel bad about that. I wish he could have had that yeah. reconnection too. But I feel really happy, and it did change my perspective on me. Yeah. I mean, my confidence was gone. The whole exactly. Was all gone. Everything was gone. That's then, kind of what I'm getting because it's like your position in relationship with other people and I it seems most particularly men like your position in relationship with the men that you'd choose knowing those daddy issues were there was just like you didn't deserve anything right right and I do feel like I did marry Everett because he had two sons and I was proving to my father that I could be an incredible stepmother. Like I should have been still part of their lives, mm. even though he had another wife and she was not kind to us. So I th I really feel like I kind of went down that path because I was trying to prove something to, to myself. Well, to my dad, but to my dad for sure. But to myself, like I wasn't the bad guy in this whole situation. Right. They could have done a better job with me. Yeah. I'm doing this great job with my two boys from a previous marriage. Yeah. You know? I think it's very important for you to tell everyone how old you were at that point. Because like, I think with the listenership that I have, people are probably imagining like 35. <laughs> I so, don't know. I don't know. 21. <laughs> 21. And how old were his sons? His sons were three and six months. Holy cow. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. And then I had Brittany when I was 22. And just like imagine the relationship, Sam, that you were drawn to at 21. Like if those aren't 
influenced by your family of origin, I don't know what they're influenced by. The person you're choosing at that age and the quote-unquote family that you're building is absolutely mimicry, right? It's just, you are just copying what you know and then learning soon that that's not it (laughs) and you don't want that. But if I... But then my parents get divorced and I didn't want to be a divorced parent, so I stuck it in right. for uh, 20 years. Right. You're 21. You make this decision. You get with a person who's not the right person. That becomes apparent early. But you have so much to prove to yourself and to your dad somewhere. And and hurt from the divorce that you don't want to... Yeah, I don't want to be divorced. Recreate. I don't want my kids to be... Right. Exactly. I don't want my kids to have to be uh, the, the children of divorced parents because it was so horrific. So I stuck it out yeah. for way too long. Yeah. But I still did what I needed to do in order to get to like you have. To, you know? yeah. And honestly, like I look back now and I think to myself, with all the crap that happened from that time to now, this is where I am. How blessed am I? Yeah. You know, to be here now. Yeah. No. I there there is a special chamber of empathy unlocked in people that go through really hard stuff. Not to say everyone doesn't go through really hard stuff, but there is a special kind of box inside of a person that if they go through something really traumatic that they just had no control over, their ability to feel for other people is just different. It's just like on another level. And honestly, it's, there are days where I'm like, well, it's not worth it. (laughs) I wish I didn't have this if it meant that I wasn't in pain, but if I look at all of the people that I'm drawn to and and like all of the people I love and who I admire for those qualities, I don't want them to have gone through that pain. I don't want either of you to have gone through that, but it has influenced kind of your depth of understanding and compassion for other people. And there's nothing to thank there in terms of the alcoholism, but what you both did with it with the cards you were dealt and kind of where it got you today, like you were saying, Carrie, is obviously something beautiful and something worth celebrating daily. So yeah, (laughs) the pain got you there somehow. Can Um, I ask a question? Yeah. From Samantha Buckley Steele. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Where are you at with your mom now? What is your relationship like? That is a good question. No. Um, I mean, we're still very close. Um, I think, you know, she still considers me her person very much. Um, One thing that I like, I'm kind of glad you asked this because I wanted to talk about the trust aspect of it all as well. Um, And the damage in terms of like being able to trust that I know I experienced as a child of an alcoholic and I'm sure many others have as well. Um, There's a lot of damage there. it's still, you know, an ongoing um, thing that we're, we're working through in terms of my trust for her um, as she, you know, goes through her journey with AA, um, being away from a parent that is an alcoholic while it is still an ongoing issue for me is in many ways a lot harder and has been a lot harder, um, which is weird to say, right? Because it's like, I'm not in the trenches, right? I'm not experiencing the, the day, the worry is always back there. but the worry is there. And I don't 
there's nothing I can even throw fake control at. There's no stance I can take. Um, there's no, there's no small, like, there, yes. Your you're you're presence, at least in some level, held her accountable. Right, you know, right. Or, or in a very direct way, because in fact, you know, my presence and conversations that we had are what led her to go to AA for the first time. Um, so you do feel like it's your responsibility. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And that's part of the journey that I, that I go on. It's like at a certain point, you know, you have to accept that it's not, you know, it has nothing to do with me. Um, uh, and the fact that she has positioned you comfortably in a way where it has felt like your responsibility to be there for her in that way for all of these years, totally inappropriate. Yeah. But like, it's going to be hard to break free of that. And um, there is a pattern of, um, you know, when I am direct in in discussing, you know, the A word, um, I don't hear from her as much, or there's a fear of getting caught, or there's a fear of um, defensiveness. There's a defensiveness. There's there's lies, and and the lies are what is really damaging to me because there was a good period of time where we did have a really open relationship about it. And I felt very comfortable, you know, talking about the ways that it, it had hurt me, that it had, you know, damaged my relationships with others. You know, I felt we had these open conversations and then, um, you know, she started drinking again and then knowing full well that like I had put voice to my trust issues would lie you know lie in the face of confrontation and you know those kinds of things that um are the most does she understand that that's like double punishment for you like that the the drinking isn't even the worst part of it is the punishment of you know i i don't think that she does or i mean if she does it's 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 a disease right so it's not that's not the thought process it's it's so much simpler than that it's a disease. Yeah. yeah, it's it's um, what can I do to have my next drink comfortably, and and without fear of it being taken away or, um, yeah, and, and I'm the only person that has done that, really, um, for her. So it makes sense that that the the lie is what is what leads it because because that's what gets her to her drink you know do you ever feel like you have to let go of her um yeah yeah um that's gonna be the hardest part yeah because you love your mom absolutely um yeah like it i have to imagine that full well understanding it's a disease and it's not your mom making choices right it is this disease controlling and her that oh that took and making choices that only came to me like a year ago <laughs> yeah two years ago you know yeah. like that it that is even though that has always been the truth it it has only been recently that that was something i like fully fully wrapped my head around right and like now knowing that it's still painful yeah but a lifetime of not really understanding that difference and watching your mom seemingly choose this right. over you right. and your well-being, mm-hmm. how are you supposed to trust 
anyone right. when her whole narrative also is like being obsessed with you like you are her world you're everything to her she loves you so much and the truth of the matter is she really does absolutely she yeah. adores you and thinks you're incredible but she, yeah <laughs> but she's controlled by this disease and that comes out in behavior that fully puts you in the face of danger of being lied to, mm-hmm. of not being taken care of. Which is danger. Like, I, I, yeah. Like, I've come to realize, like, just being lied to by, like, the person that you trust the most in the Who world. Defined love to you. Right. Is, is more damaging than, like, getting in the car. Totally. <laughs> For me, quite honestly, like, that has been something that I bring into every relationship that I have. And, and, something that I'm so into when we talk about like breaking the cycle, like that's one of the things that I know we talk about a lot, but I am most scared of for myself because it does not come naturally for me to trust, to trust because that's my mom, you know, like I'm like, you know, like, and, and I can't take her word for at face value. So, um, it's tricky. It's tricky for sure. Um, and without distance, like there is, comparatively there's a lot of distance between you and your mom to when you were living with her and this was all kind of like in both of your faces all the time Mm -hmm. but in comparison to other adults and their parents like you are not distant from your mom you have a close relationship with her yeah and without any sort of distance like what are it's so hard to imagine letting go of it right so constantly you are in this relationship where somebody's lying to you and it's yeah and it's a cycle of fear right because it's if i'm not the person holding her accountable even if it's just like in a phone call right because if we don't talk then maybe she started drinking at this you know like if we don't if she doesn't need to call me back she's by herself, you know, drinking from, you know, whatever hour. Um, but it's, yeah, it's a, it's a, a cycle of fear and that I'm like, if I'm not there to hold her accountable, like, is she okay? You know? Um, but it, it's just coming to terms with, like, it's not, it's not your responsibility. Well, I think the tough part of that is like, it's not your responsibility. It's not your job. Yeah. But that doesn't make it less painful for you to imagine her not being okay. You're out there and you know it in your head. Oh, absolutely. Right. Are allowing you to release it. Or even if it really, because even if it's not out of obligation for you, you do love your mom. Like, she's a ton of fun. And if this weren't a part of her, you would, you would be your mother's daughter in that way. Yeah. So if somebody says to you, like, that's not your responsibility that's not your job. You have to let it go. Free yourself. It's discounting the entire part where that's heartbreaking. Right. Because you don't want to. Right. And I think people forget about that. Yeah. And as I kind of continuously talk through my childhood and the way her parenting, her alcoholism, you know, has affected me, I just become even more and more empathetic to the trauma that she's endured in her life that led her to where she is. Um, And it just, you know, perpetuates the cycle even more because I don't blame her. Um, 
I blame her, you know, unpacked on unmedicated pain. Um, but it always goes back. It always, you know, <laughs> yeah. like it's going to go back forever. Yeah. Of course there's some event or right. some individual. Well, if, if we want to really go lineage, <laughs> right? Like her mother's father was an alcoholic. Exactly. And, um, and who knows who before him right. was an alcoholic. Right. It's just like putting language to all of this. It always is going to kind of feel like it started with you mm-hmm. or at most it started with your parent. Right. But the fact of the matter is it absolutely did not. It didn't. Yeah. And the empathy that you can have for your mom or that I can have for my mom or that you can have for your dad about what leads them to deal with pain in this way. Like that's deep. And any other person you'd encounter going through that, you would just feel for so deeply. And so you have to hold two truths at the same time. I feel angry and sad and scared and awful for myself for the fact that I went through this and I feel all of those things for my parent as a child for the stuff they went through and so on and so on and so on and I think it's easy for a person who's kind of gotten to the point where they are feeling for their parent to allow them to have pain and also honor your own Mm -hmm. Because if you do empathize with your mom, it feels like you're not allowed to be upset about the way that she hurt you. Yeah. Oh, I still am. Like, I feel, right. my, I feel my pain. Of course. You know, sometimes yeah. to the moon. But um, I, I, and I acknowledge hers. Right. As well. Yeah. When you think about um, dating. Mm-hmm. What do you think are the... I said, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, just in like our relationship and kind of talking about boys and talking about guys that you're meeting or somebody you're talking to, mm-hmm. it always strikes me how your interpretation of like what somebody said or somebody did, you are always on the lookout for somebody lying, like specifically oh, lying. And, like, I have my shit, but it's not looking out for somebody lying. It's looking out for somebody withholding information or meaning something when they actually are saying something else. And for you, it's like, they said this thing, and I still think that they mean the complete opposite. Yeah, totally. I mean, when I look back at my relationships, and, like, either they, like, were, you know, like my mom in a sense, or probably... Or the relationship was damaged because I assumed that they were. Right. And when they really weren't. Yeah. Um, which is so sad. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. Yeah. It just doesn't come naturally to me to take things at face value like that. Yeah. Um, because I'm like, okay, there's two sides. To, you know, there's two sides to every coin. So this is right. what I'm getting. But then when it hits seven o'clock, what's really going to happen there? It's you know what I so mean? Like, It's interesting though because it's like look at yourself. Like, you're not lying to everyone. Whoa. So, statistically... Well, me. I'm oh, you're perfect. Right, I forgot. I forgot. I forgot. <laughs> no, but, like, truly, look at look at yourself, and honestly, I'm not even going to put myself yes, in that sphere. we're tier. talking about men here. I see. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, they're trash. <laughs> I think it's so hard, like, um, 
too. I mean, even though my dad was my person, I think it's so much harder when it's your mother. I, I do. I think that your mom is the one that grew you and birthed you. And then when you have issues with that person, it, it, she's supposed to be your nurturer and you end up being the parent for her. That is really, really hard. Yeah. So like as much as I think men are wonderful and can contribute great things, um, you know, not Sometimes. Two, not that I work as with, I do think that if your mother, if you feel like your mother uh, doesn't like you or is not that person that is strong for you, that that that's much more hurtful than if it's your father. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. I really believe that. Like, I feel like my kids went through, they got through okay, even though they've got, I'm sure, their own baggage from what we went through. Um, but because their father was the jackass and I was not the jackass, yeah, it, I think they managed through it much better than had I been the bad guy right. and he had been the good guy. Right. I just do. I just really feel it's yeah. hard when your mom is the one, you know? Yeah. I mean, who knows how much of it is nature? Who knows how much of it is society? Like, who yeah. knows what is kind of going into the pot to make what you're saying true? But I do think, especially for daughters... And that's also kind of putting placement on gender where I don't believe in that binary. But in my experience as a daughter and in Sam's experience as a daughter of a mother, like that dynamic is so complex and it is different than a daughter's dynamic with their father. Um, there's, there's this innate element of like, that's a little me, you know, like the mother kind of, reliving or rewriting something in their history through this daughter even if they don't mean to and that causes so much pain because it's actually a whole different person <laughs> um so i think you're right and on to something in terms of that being particularly destabilizing but i also think there's weight to the fact that the two guys that you picked were jackasses <laughs> And you have daddy issues, you know? And, like, I'm comfortable calling your father an alcoholic. No matter how functional, I'm comfortable calling him one. And the amount of neglect that was there and abandonment issues that it left you with led you to men who were never going to show up for you. Right. And that... That was my comfort zone. Yeah, that's your comfort zone. And that's not normal or fair. Right. Had you had some sort of foundation that said, Carrie, a man in your life should show up for you and love you and pick up the slack and take care of you sometimes, what would those relationships have been like? Yeah. I have zero idea. <laughs> I have no concept. I like that, that idea bad. for you. Though, I mean, me too. I, really nice. like, I decided, though, at my right old age of 56, that I like me so much. Yeah. I really do. I really like, I love hanging out with myself, you know? I just think that if there were a man out there, and I, I don't know if there is, <laughs> because they suck a lot of the time, yeah. but if there is a man out there somewhere who understands how great you are and, like, likes you as much as you like you and can show up for you in the way that you show up for yourself... That would be really great. Might be nice. We'll just write, nice. just, just send this around. Oh, totally. <laughs> Don't worry. Just like here's a snippet. Oh, 
get take some headshots in the backyard tomorrow morning and we've got it set. I was going to say in regards, and this is, this is by no means like trying to put a pretty bow on it because I don't think there is a pretty bow. I, I'm a firm believer in like no child comes out unscathed as yeah. like dark as that sounds. Like I, I think even people who have very close knit relations of relationships with their nuclear family and their parents are still together and you know they love them it's a healthy relationship like I still I think that comes with its own set of of baggage and like emotional absolutely because imagine like let's talk about a hypothetical scenario where I'll say it's me that would be cool everything went right (laughs) everything was perfect I had no complaints like every moment of my upbringing was comfortable and perfect there's no way to control who I encounter in the world right so then if I'm encountered with somebody unstable and I don't have the tools to deal with that it's gonna hurt me Mm -hmm. and if you look back on this blessed upbringing where kind of nothing was thrown in my way to kind of learn to cope with then it's I still end up in a crappy situation at one time or another so I totally agree that like The tools you're given from the experiences you have leave you in the place you are. And if you're happy in the place you are, awesome. Or if you know where you're going is going to be awesome, that's great too. But yeah, there's no kid that's going to come out and and kind of check all the boxes and never go through anything because people are imperfect. Yeah. And they always will be. And you're absolutely right. If you you don't go through some life experiences and you don't get the tools... To handle it then you probably are when something happens to you and you don't have those tools it's twice as devastating because you don't know where to go with it totally you know i and i know from my own experience even though i went through all of this with my i don't i never thought my dad was a bad guy he yeah never a bad guy but then i ended up marrying a bad guy but that i had no idea that people were that bad like i yeah. had I, there was there was i would i didn't even know what to look for yeah you know, because i had no idea that people were like that right you know yeah or you just go through your whole life wondering why you can't meet someone as perfect as your dad is because you've never really gotten the opportunity to understand that your dad is not perfect perfect and is a is a flawed human with their own totally their own issues you know like on the other side yeah that's a really good point too like there's there's no way the human mind is gonna come out of any experience unscathed Mm -hmm. I fully agree with that but I do think that through a lot of hard work and processing and pushing through those comfort zones to break those cycles, things can be better. There is better. And I think pushing for that always in everything, like that's got to be the goal because yeah, it'll never be perfect, but better is literally always there. So go for it and try to get there and it'll feel nicer. You know, yeah. solidarity, sister. Yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> I vibe with that. <laughs> Thanks, Samantha Buckley Steele. Um, we got, I actually have two questions left. One question was actually sent to me on Instagram by a follower. Um, and it was about how having an alcoholic parent has influenced your own alcohol consumption. We definitely touched on this. Mm-hmm. More so with Sam, like, 
liking a beverage, but then also having this kind of further down the road fear of maybe turning into a middle-aged alcoholic. Mm -hmm. We haven't talked about it so much with you. And I think that's gotta be because you didn't even really know if he was one. (laughs) And so it's just kind of like everybody around me drinks. I'm in. I do have to say though, I do monitor myself, Yeah. which probably regular people don't do that. So I do think that even though I um, don't believe I have alcoholic tendencies, Um, I do like wine and I do drink it pretty much every night. Yeah. Um, but I do monitor myself. I don't allow myself to. So I'm always thinking. Right. Yeah. I did get to thinking about that question because you had mentioned it. Yeah. They, they were asking like the way they phrased it, I felt was really perfect. Um, has growing up with an alcoholic parent influenced you to not drink at all? We know the answer to that is no, but if not, do you have that little guy on your shoulder when you're drinking telling you like, Psst, okay. yeah. yeah, well, I mean, I experience it most, or I actually, it, it, I feel like I've experienced it most this past year mm-hmm. in quarantine, specifically when I was living alone, um, because I do like a glass of wine, but I don't really drink a glass of wine by myself, but then experiencing 2020 and, you know, going all that time by myself, I would make myself a margarita. I would make myself this and like all in moderation, but there is something about the experience of, of drinking alone that particularly is difficult for me. Um, because it feels like my mom, like, you know, like having two glasses of wine, but the idea there is that I can stop at two glasses of wine. Totally. I, I think for me knowing like I do set it like especially when I'm drinking alone I would be like I'll have a glass of wine I want to have two glasses of wine and knowing that I have the capacity to stop there yeah is almost empowering to me yeah (laughs) um but it is dark in a way because it's like I'm testing myself here like what if for some reason something, you know, the alcoholism monster takes over me right now and for some reason I must finish this bottle of wine? Yeah. Um, that's for sure in my head. Um, yeah. Yeah. What about you? Yeah, I don't um, have a little guy on my shoulder that says don't do it. Um, but I definitely, and I think, I don't even think it comes from my father and his alcoholism. I think it comes from my early days of partying my asshole. <laughs> So, um, so, you know, you can go to a party or get, go to a gathering and you are having a good time and you're not even thinking about what you're drinking. And then all of a sudden you've had too much to drink. So I think for me, as I'm growing older and being more mature, the last thing I want to be is sloppy yeah. anywhere, even home by myself. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that's where my little voice comes in and says, you know, you don't need to, you know, you can just have a glass of wine, have right. two glasses of wine, but don't yeah. go crazy. You don't need to do that. Do you think part of that comes with knowing that alcoholism is in your family or like it, the outward appearance of alcoholism? Like, do you nice, associate sloppiness and that or? My, but none of my, no, because none of them were ever sloppy drunks. They right, were, right. The alcoholics in my family were generally not sloppy drinkers. Um, right. So I don't, I don't think for me, it, I associate that part with it. I think it was my own you know, doing my own party type thing. Well, and also you've had ample exposure to other alcoholics outside of your family. Yeah. So there has been exposure to like people having a super unhealthy relationship with the bottle, even if that person wasn't your dad. Mm -hmm. 
suit that I'm sure must have must influence kind of the way you behave toward it even if it's not like this is in my blood and therefore I need to kind of keep tabs on it yeah yeah I don't Mm -hmm. I just feel like it's I've never felt like I was an alcoholic right I've just always tried to you know make sure that I'm not going down a you know a road just just, I never I don't never want to lose myself in a night yeah you know so well, I think, I mean, it is really interesting to hear this from both of you, though, because I drink too, but I, it has never even crossed my mind. Interesting. Ever. I don't have addiction in my family. I have a slew of other stuff. And, like, I'm sure there have been addicts, but in my nuclear family, like, that's just not the problem. So I've never felt any I I don't like mindfully drink and both of you know I barely drink like (laughs) if I can finish one glass of wine like it's a miracle but none of that is out of me being like I need to watch how much I'm consuming it's it just doesn't cross my mind so I think being mindful of it at all is an indication that this has played a role in your life and that you want to control whatever role it plays in like I'm sure people would be surprised to hear that I am self-monitoring though because when we sit next to each other and talk about alcohol consumption like I feel like I can drink a lot of alcohol in one sitting so I mean it's just um yeah I'm sure people would be surprised to to know that I it is something that is like on my mind constantly but totally but that also depends on like the social environment of your family the social environment of your life like it just somehow has never really been a big part of mine in any yeah. way. Not a big part of my family's parties or anything. And for both of you, it's like, no, it has been. And that's normal, too. Parties without booze. Right. Like, yeah. like that's okay and normal, too. Yeah. But I do, it, I feel like it must be kind of shocking to both of you to imagine that, like, someone's never even considered yeah. if they'd be an alcoholic, you know? Mm-hmm. Um and I've considered so many other things, but like, <laughs> that's not one of them. Yeah. I'm going to check that one off. <laughs> <laughs> I want to end the conversation on what I do anticipate to be an emotional, but uplifting note. And I want you both to kind of think about what you would say to a child that was experiencing an alcoholic parent like yours, what you would say to them now. Imagine you or someone like you at the age you were when like this became a reality for you. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give them? How would you comfort them? What would you say to them? I can go first. <laughs> go ahead. I mean, because it's all it's all bits of kind of things that we've touched touched on throughout our conversation. But yeah, I mean, just the general concept that it has nothing to do with me. I think when you're 16, 17, everything feels distinctly personal and distinctly about you. (laughs) Um, And especially when, you know, you're in the house and it's just the two of you and you're just there with an alcoholic. It was very hard to not take it personal for many years of my life. So I think that would just kind of be the main takeaway there, um, that it has nothing to do with you. Um, and just acknowledging, like, my mom is a, as a person <laughs> with her own feelings and, and emotions. Uh, at the time, it's just everything felt um, like it was about me, yeah. <laughs> you know? And, and everything feels like a reaction to you, right. right? You know, it's like, 
they're doing this because I blank or, right. you know, if I, or yeah, sounds kind of cliche, but, um, but that sort of leads into the concept that not only is it not about you, but also it's not your responsibility. Right. Both. Yeah. Both. Yeah. Like what they're doing isn't in response to you. And therefore, what you do is not going to change right. this about them. Right. So, and I think, and that. I think the realization that like my acts of defiance were for me and not for her um, was an empowering one and, and just a good one because I don't think at the time I really knew what I was doing. And I think if anyone had asked me, it, I would have said like it was in an effort to get her to stop drinking or to like get her to go to AA. Um, but it, that's not what it was. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Like those are my, I think the hardest part of the whole thing too, is that because you're, um, analyzing it now in an adult brain from something that happened in a child brain, right? It's so two totally different worlds. Yeah. It's really hard to go back and tell that child, you know, don't feel this way. <laughs> yeah. This is, you know, um, eventually someday you're going to understand that this is not your fault or about you. But right now you might not understand that, you know. I, I mean, I think if I was if I was uh, talking to a young child, it is probably a little bit more difficult to help them understand that it's not about them. But if I was talking to like 16-year-old Samantha Buckley-Steele, <laughs> I would just say, I think one of the most critical things you can do for yourself is to um, go to therapy so you can unpack this baggage before yeah. you get into your relationships with future future people because um, you don't want your relationships with future people to be tainted by this yeah. situation that you're in right now. It's so hard because as you go into these relationships with people, you know, it, say you meet this really nice guy and he's a good person and you've got this thing in the back of your head that says, okay, he's probably going to lie to me. Mm -hmm. That's so hard. Mm -hmm. And I feel so badly that that would be the situation that you might yeah. feel because that person deserves the chance to have all to the earn it. until yeah. they hang yeah. themselves. You know what I mean? <laughs> So, like, I just hope that you can, I mean, even me, who's been in the I know, I'm like, I love that my prompt was, <laughs> <laughs> give comfort and advice to yourself or a child like you gave it to going me. through what you went through. Listen, I'll take it. And Carrie's like, oh, sweet baby Samantha, <laughs> please steal. <laughs> Let me mother you, my sweet child. Well, I think, because I think what I would, if I had, taken the time when I was younger to to realize the baggage that I was carrying before I got into relationships with really stupid bad people it would have been a lot smarter yeah. so I would have maybe taken my time you know maybe yeah. I wouldn't have jumped into something at 21 years old I have like I, I said I have no regrets because of what I got I gained out of that whole relationship but um but it would have been interesting maybe to have somebody that actually was showing up for me yeah that would have been nice so if you're I thinking like to have had a, a partner for my whole life. Yeah. yeah. You know. If you're thinking about that 10-year-old who's like that 10 to 14-year-old who's being told, by the way, your father's an alcoholic, your hero's an alcoholic, and then also your dad kind of slowly removing himself from your life and how all of that made that young girl feel. Imagine she's your daughter. 
Yeah, and I think that's hard to even, um, for me to say to her, this is not your fault, it's yeah. not about you. I mean, everything's so centrifugal. When, when, when kids are little, it really oh. is all about them. Yeah. They really truly feel like that. So even if I'm saying it as an outsider or a mother to my daughter, they still internalize. Of course. So that's a really hard, it's, it's, but it would have been nice, I think, for me, if somebody was there to hear me and really try to find out why I was not doing well in algebra and why, right. you know, like why I was, you know, mouthy or, right. or, or lashing out. I would have liked to have had my parent that wasn't an alcoholic there saying, you know, I know this is hard for you. Because even if at the time you aren't, your, your kid brain isn't capable of receiving somebody telling you it's not about you or receiving somebody telling you this isn't your fault. It's still something someone said to you. Right. And it's something that you can put in the back of your mind and like put in your story. So when you are mature enough oh, to understand that about yourself, <laughs> there was somebody who said that to you yeah. when it when it mattered. And like you have that to pull from. Because I think I I would have loved for somebody to say it to me, even if it wouldn't have changed my experience as a teen. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. And it still would have been wonderful if somebody had said that to you. I might have to write a book about that, a children's book. <gasps> Plug it. Right? Yeah. Right <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's not a bad idea. I like that idea because it should be just a book about it's not your fault. Yeah. And, like, you, you won't get it now, and it's still going to feel like your fault, but remember that I'm telling you right now that it's not. And if you want to talk about this in five years, I'll tell you the same thing again. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know this was heavy for a Monday night, but I also had a lot of fun talking to you both. And my heart has grown 15 sizes (laughs) in just being able to spend these couple hours kind of talking about you and learning more about you both, who I love so dearly. Um, Yourself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love, I love me. <laughs> um, uh, would you like people to find you on the internet? No. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even on anywhere. Okay, cool. Yeah. I, I don't know if there's anything to plug here, but just for record's sake, her name is Samantha Buckley Steele. Yeah, we really gave them all the details. All the details. <laughs> they can Google that. Um, And we have Carrie Haxton. Opened a liquor store in Rhode Island. Check it out. Riverside, Rhode Island. Riverside, Rhode Island, baby. Um, Thank you for listening. Thank you both for talking to me. I love you. Love you. Love you. Love you. Love you. (laughs) And I'll talk to you all soon. Bye. I would like to start over.